This episode of The Explainer is supported by Daft Advantage Ads. Selling a home is a huge financial decision, so make sure your property is on daft.ie, Ireland's number one property website. Welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Laura Byrne, and this week, soft power and hard cash. What is going on in the world of golf? Well, you don't have to be a fan of golf in any way to have noticed there's been a seismic shift this week in this lucrative global sport. Until now, golf had mostly been dominated by a small number of tours, the PGA being the largest. But last year, Live Golf, backed by a lot of money from Saudi Arabia, emerged onto the scene. Amid accusations of sports washing and concerns around human rights abuses in Saudi Arabia, Live hoovered up a number of big golfing names, with Greg Norman at the helm. But other big names stood their ground and refused to jump to Liv. Irish player Rory McIlroy was one of the most vocal, refusing to engage with Liv, saying he hated what it had done to the game of golf. Skip to a big shock then for the game this week and the announcement that the PGA Tour has now agreed to merge with Liv. So is this the ultimate tale of sports washing? What does this merger mean for golf? And most crucially, what does this mean for anyone who had hoped to take a stance against Saudi Arabia's abysmal human rights record? Well, to shed some light on all of this for us today, I'm delighted to say we're joined in studio by our very own Gavin Cooney, sports writer with The 42. Gavin, thanks so much for joining us today. No worries at all. So before we start, Gavin, we should probably mention for our listeners that this recording is happening a few days in advance of publication. And as we've seen with the Live Golf story, anything is liable to happen. So just for our listeners, if anything does happen after you listen to this episode, be sure to check out the 42 app for the latest. And you can also subscribe and get even more expert analysis. So Gavin, for anyone with some interest in the story this week, but maybe not getting all the details, can you explain why the events of this week were such a big bombshell for golf? Golf. golf has been hit since the um, arrival of, of Saudi Arabia's Sovereign Wealth Fund to fund and set up the Live Tour. Golf has been hit with an unprecedented civil war. The depth uh, of the divide between those who joined Live and those who didn't seemed almost intractable. Uh, there were insults flying in the press on, on an almost weekly basis. There was significant litigation going on between Liv and the PGA Tour in an antitrust suit that was supposed to be heard in court next year. People seemingly had, had dug their battle lines and things seemed utterly intractable. And then all of a sudden, truce. A, a statement published on the PGA Tour website at three o'clock Irish time on Tuesday announcing that the litigation was over and that all of the, uh, the, the live and the PGA Tour along with the European Tour would merge into one entity uh, and that all of a sudden that everyone is everyone is friends again. So if we start really at the basics, what is the PGA Tour? What players or tournaments or cups might people have heard of and who owns them? So the PGA Tour is an organization that arranges golf tournaments in America. It's the biggest and most historic of its kind in the world. Traditionally, all of the top golfers in the world played on the PGA Tour in America. Some of its highest, um, most renowned competitions would be the FedEx Cup, the Players' Championship, the President's Cup. In, in terms of who owns it, Technically, nobody, uh, because it's a non-profit entity. It has a board of directors with a number of players sitting on that board as well. So it is technically you know, owned by its membership in a way, uh, with a board of directors and a commissioner, appointed a commissioner, uh, a man by the name of Jay Monahan. 
So when we hear things, I, as a non-golfer, I have to ask you, you know, the likes of the Ryder Cup, would that fall under the PGA Tour? The PGA Tour wouldn't necessarily oversee it. The Ryder Cup is its own entity, but the PGA Tour would oversee the American team. So, for example, the players who left the uh, PGA Tour, there's a lot of, there has been a lot of controversy as to whether those American players would be eligible to play uh, in the uh, in the Ryder Cup. The also the, the big golf tournaments are the four majors every year, the Masters, the PGA Championship, the US Open and the Open Championships. Other organizations technically arrange those competitions, but the PGA Tour um, supplies most of the golfers competing in it because golfers are awarded world ranking points by playing on the PGA Tour. Uh, and generally, uh, most of the golfers who qualify for those major tournaments do so on the basis of their world ranking. So I guess the PGA Tour would have had a lot of money running through it over the years. Were there any other large tours in the game before Liv came along? Well, the other probably main body to be aware of in the context of this conversation is the European Tour. It's now titled the DP World Tour, which is a DP World is, is, a, is a business. It's, it's, a, it's a sponsorship deal. That's why it has been renamed. That's effectively Europe's equivalent of the PGA Tour. It's not as big and, and it's not as successful because the top European guys play on the PGA Tour. You're allowed to play on both in that respect. So that's why, you know, Shane Lowry, Seamus Power and Rory McIlroy from Ireland, for instance, play on the PGA Tour, but are also allowed to play on the European Tour if they commit to playing a basic number of events, which they always do, like the Irish Open, for example. That's organised by the European Tour. And you have to be, if you want to play on the European team at the Ryder Cup, you have to be a member of the European Tour. Now, looking at Live Golf, let's start really by explaining, I think, Gavin, who owns them, how they came into existence. Live Golf is, is owned by the Public Investment Fund, which is the sovereign wealth fund of Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has, for the last few years, expressed an interest in getting into golf. By getting into golf, they mean pumping their money into it, but also taking some element of control of the sport as well. They had floated a couple of breakaway ideas and this is what they ultimately settled on. So the Live Tour, L-I-V, that's they're the Roman numerals for 54, which refers to the number of holes played at a Live event. So traditionally, the PGA Tour is a 72-hole event. So across four days, golfers go out and play a round of 18 holes across the four days and then whoever uh, completes it uh, in the fewest amount of strokes goes on and wins it. Live promised to change the format a bit under this notion of growing the game game and we need to attract a younger audience so they played 54 holes they did this thing called shotgun starts by which everyone is on the course at one time starting at a different hole uh, they also had a team element uh, there was a general little bit more bombast about their events so now this is golfer talking about it so it's not that bombastic but you know players are allowed playing shorts which they're not allowed to do on the PGA Tour this is kind of this is kind of youth culture and so golf we're talking like rock and roll golf for changes I mean golf has such an old fashioned mm. sort of a, a name really up until yeah. now yeah and th so this was this was the kind of disruptor on the scene. Uh, so that was the format, obviously set up by the Saudi Arabians last. It only set up last year. It was it was this week last year that they had their first event. And Gavin, was this in any way expected then? And I know, look, we have a fair idea, but what are the Saudis aiming for here? Yeah, I mean, the goal with the Saudis initially, they would say to to grow live golf, um, and in well, they'll say grow the game of golf around the world. I think maybe their ultimate strategic aims were, were fulfilled uh, in merging with uh, the PGA Tour and having now a hugely influential role in all of global golf. I mean, Saudi Arabia 
uh, have recently invested in a lot of sport. You know, it's part of their Vision 2030 plan, they will say, as uh, they want to diversify their economy away from just oil. And one of the ways in which they're going to do it is by targeting sport. Uh, they've bought Newcastle United, uh, the football team of the Premier League. They've had massive boxing fights in Saudi Arabia. They've had a Formula, they have a Formula One race in Saudi Arabia and now in golf as well. So uh, they will say that they'll... Uh, They'll involve themselves in these sports and might just boost the tourism industry in Saudi Arabia as well if they want to market themselves as a golf destination in the future. Critics will say it's it's a sports washing element, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but uh, in terms of their motivations in setting up live, that now looks like effectively a bluff or the, the cost of a seat at the table in deciding the future of golf, which I think is clarified this week. Well, in theory, no one would argue with the idea of flooding a sport with lots of money and Saudi Arabia is not short of any money. But why are critics calling this sports washing in particular? It's the scale of the investment in a, in a global sport. And um, in terms of, you know, sports washing is the softening of one's image using the vehicle of international sport. Uh, and that's exactly what they're doing with with other investments in, in sport, but in particularly in golf. And there's also... There's also a power element to it all. You know, golf is not the biggest sport in the world, but it does attract a uniquely powerful cohort of supporters. I mean, live events have been staged at courses owned by Donald Trump. Donald Trump loves golf. Donald Trump loved live seemingly. Uh, so it's not beyond the realms of possibility now that, you know, Saudi Arabia will have a significant role in golf uh, in a couple of years time. Donald Trump could easily be the next U.S. president. And then, you know, at the golf course, you've got pretty easy access to the U.S. president. I mean, so th- these are the kind of these are the kind of benefits that come uh, from an, from investing in golf in, in particular. So initially then Liv came along, lots of fanfare, as you say, the disruptor. How did the PGA view Liv then initially? They saw it as an existential threat to their existence. So initially they warded it off by saying, well, if you want, if any PGA Tour member wants to go play with Liv, you'll be banned from this tour. Uh, And it worked with some people, but it didn't work with everyone. So we saw several high profile names leave the PGA Tour to go to Liv. Um, Brooks Kepka, uh, Phil Mickelson, obviously, probably mo- one of the most high profile figures, Dustin Johnson, Cameron Smith, Sergio Garcia, Bryson DeChambeau, the, all these guys left. So they were then banned from the PGA Tour and the European guys like Garcia, like Lee Westwood, like uh, Ian Poulter were banned from the European Tour and as a result can't play in this year's Ryder Cup. So that was that was their means of almost fighting against it. Because obviously they heavily criticised it because in a way, it was it was a threat to their business and their status as the preeminent golf uh, organization on the planet. And Gavin, it bears saying that these golfers who defected to live, they're not going for nothing. They were getting seriously well paid for it. Yeah, I mean, if you were to ask one of these guys what first attracted you to live, you're reminded of, well, Debbie McGee, what first attracted you to the millionaire Paul Daniels? These guys made eye-watering amounts of money. I mean, report these are reported sums, but Phil Mickelson was given $200 million as a signing on fee, Cameron Smith somewhere in, you know, $100 million. Some of the guys who turned it down, like Tiger Woods turned it down, was reportedly offered something like $800 million just to sign. And then the the field was padded out by lower ranked guys. But for a lot of guys, they were past their prime on the PGA Tour and they were given this, well, hang on, we'll give you loads of money to come and play less golf. I mean, from that point of view, it kind of made sense for them. And I, I, there were there are undoubtedly some players went and said this, you know, from a lifestyle point of view, uh, from a financial point of view, this is what best suits me. It's easy to see the parallels, isn't it, with the top footballers recently and 
talk of Messi again this week and whether he would go to Saudi. And Messi has actually ended up going to Inter Miami in, in MLS in, in North America. But he said if had it been just a financial decision, he would have gone to Saudi Arabia, which is what Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo has done. N'Golo Kante has left Chelsea and signed a deal worth $100 million a season. It's, 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 the money is absolutely bonkers. Like Kante is, has been a brilliant, but is an injury prone midfielder. And his $100 million contract is more expensive than any contract that has been ever handed out in European football and we've been rubbing our eyes at the money in European football lately so it's it's tot- the money involved here is completely paradigm shifting in football and also in golf Interesting really that Messi didn't follow the money in a sense and I guess that is a reminder of Rory McIlroy I think we should bring him in here anyone watching him in the last year really Gavin got to be feeling sorry for him this week. I think so, yeah. He, he did a press conference yesterday and he admitted he felt a little like a sacrificial lamb. A number of the PGA Tour loyalists, as it were, spoke out in support of the PGA Tour and against um, and against Liv. So guys like Max Homa, guys like Justin Thomas, but no one was a louder and, um, and a better voice than Rory McIlroy. He, going back a couple of years, when he was first reportedly offered a deal with Saudi Arabia when they were deciding would we form a breakaway tour and what it might look like. In the early stages of that, he was offered uh, some of money to to basically sign up with that. And he said no, because he didn't like where the money was coming from. Uh, but in the last year or so, his objections to it have been mostly rooted in the sporting element. Rory McIlroy is a guy, he's obviously one of the most talented golfers the game has ever seen, certainly that has ever come out of this island. And he's always had a massive appreciation for the history of golf and the legacy left by the golfers that have gone before him. That is one of the main reasons why he wanted to stick with the PGA Tour. It was on that tour that, you know, the likes of Arnold Palmer made his name and obviously Tiger Woods, who, you know, Rory McIlroy would have, I don't know what he have styled himself in Tiger Woods, but he would have certainly been inspired by him. He was, you know, there was, I remember hearing a story once of uh, McIlroy was playing with an Irish side, underage side at European Championships. He, you know, he, he burned the course up, was way out in front, walked off the course glumly, uh, and one of his Irish teammates said, Rory, why are you disappointed with your score? And he was comparing a score to what Tiger had shot in whatever PGA Tour event was on that week. Uh, so that gives you an insight into, into how uh, McIlroy has always invested in the PGA Tour and all that element of this is, this is where legacies are built. This is the real competition. And he had always objected to live for that reason, because live the PGA Tour, the money sloshing around that is enormous as well. But there isn't a sense that you've earned it. You have to, you know, have to, you have to win a certain number of tournaments to earn a place in the PGA Tour. And then uh, the money paid out is meritocratic in the sense that it's based off your performance at tournaments and your rankings and so forth. Whereas at Live, there was no cut at events. So you, you would be guaranteed to play all three days, regardless of how badly you played. So you're essentially putting on a show as a golfer as opposed to actually competing. Would that be the way you'd look that, at that it? Would, yeah. That would certainly be, that would be an excellent way of, of looking at it. And, uh, you know, Liv will say it's also competition, but the competition element is not as prized at that as it was in the PGA Tour. So that was one of the reasons McElroy really objected to it. He did have his moral issues and concerns about the Saudi money as well, but certainly 
in the last year or so, his principal um, opposition to it has been on, on, on a sporting basis. And you mentioned Tiger Woods. Obviously, you were saying he didn't take the money he was offered, but was he as vocal as McElroy in terms of what Liv was doing to the sport? Pretty much. He didn't speak as often as McElroy on it, but when Woods speaks, the whole world listens. So he and McElroy were to the fore uh, in, you know, rallying the troops to stay with the PGA Tour and look, renegotiate with the PGA Tour to get themselves more money because that did happen. And McElroy admitted that, look, the existence of Liv was good business for everyone involved uh, because now the PGA Tour have these designated events where uh, the top players, uh, it's mandatory for them to play, but the money involved is almost double. Like this, far, they're being paid far more money. This is one of the reasons, and we'll get onto this, like Liv also forced the PGA Tour to ratchet up the amount of money that they were paying to keep their top guys there. So there was a business element of it involved as well. But Woods, yeah, Woods didn't, uh, Woods didn't take the money either. And again, he wants to protect his competitive legacy. So uh, similar enough to McElroy in that sense, like Woods won, I think it's over 90 events on the PGA Tour. It's very difficult for anyone to ever compete with that. Uh, and uh, if Woods' legacy won't ever be surpassed, he does want it protected. Uh, and any kind of dilution of the PGA Tour may have diluted his, his legacy and how his achievements are remembered. Thinking of selling? Choose a Daft Advantage ads to guarantee unbeatable visibility, attract more buyers and get the best price for your home. Ask your estate agent for a Daft Advantage ad today. So we've outlined the intense rivalry in the last year, Gavin, and now in shock news, it appears they've merged. Do you think this was entirely out of the blue this week? Yeah, it was completely out of the blue. There was an assumption that the two parties would eventually come together in some kind of settlement because it made no sense for both to coexist because the PGA Tour had eyeballs on it. It had significant TV contracts and a good TV audience. It had the history and the legacy that we've talked about. It had many of the world's top players, but it didn't have them all. And Liv had no TV audience. You know, it, it got reasonable crowds out at a couple of events in Australia and in, I think it was Tucson in, in the United States, but nobody watched it to the point where it finally got a deal with the network CW in the United States, but they stopped publishing the viewing figures because they were so bad, like no one was watching it. So on the one hand, you had many of the top players being paid, also being paid more money to stay on the PGA Tour, but at diminished events because not all of the top players were there. And then in Live, you had these guys playing something that nobody was watching but seemingly an infinite supply of wealth. Uh, so it made sense that there would be some kind of detente uh, between the two parties. But I think what is shocking about this story is how quickly it has come, how emphatic it has been, how it was kept totally secret. Only a very few people knew about it. Rory McIlroy found out at the same time as you and I did, Laura. It just goes to emphasize the extent to which this has been kept secret. Uh, then you'd ask the question, what did PGA need live for then? I mean, I, I guess it's the money talks thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, what are they both getting out of it? Is it really a win for golf, do you think, Gavin? Is it a win for golf? It, it is a resolution to the crisis that has been created by the Saudis setting up of live. Now everyone, all the top golfers will be back playing on the same tour again. Uh, that is one of the wrinkles that will have to be ironed out that the guys who left for live and were banned from the PGA Tour and the European Tour, they're going to come back now. Um, we Some will bad blood there, isn't there? Massively. I mean, Rory McIlroy said at his press conference at the Canadian Open last week uh, that there will have to be some kind 
of basically, he didn't use the word punishment, but punishment is what he means because these guys left for live, got their hundred million dollar signing bonuses, and are now going to come back. Whereas guys who stayed on the PGA tour, like Hideki Matsuyama of Japan, turned down a three hundred million dollar offer to do so, and all of a sudden now he realizes, well, like I could have taken the money and come back to the PGA tour a year what was on. The point you'd anyway, you know, so, so yeah. that's one of the major issues as regards the um, the melding of them all, the two together. Uh, is it good for golf? It, it resolves the crisis that was set up. I think it is all, the story is also shed light on what live was meant to be. I mean, the stuff about, you know, we're going to grow the game, we'll make it more appealing to younger audiences by playing across three days rather than four and allowing the guys to wear shorts. And I, that has been exposed as nonsense. I mean, what live was, was effectively a method of siege in the PGA Tour. They attempted away some top players to diminish the PGA Tour's product. They hover in the background as a threat uh, to the players who had stayed with the PGA Tour. That meant the PGA Tour had to shell out way more money to keep these guys while making less money. And well, we'll say less money, potentially making less money down the line from their television contracts because the events weren't so good. So the Saudis, it was effectively, we're going to we're gonna hold you out here until you need to come to the negotiating table with a price. And then the Saudi investment fund behind Lev will say, well, we've got, we've got the uh, cash. So you write your figure down there, we'll meet it. And we had McElroy's in his response saying that he hopes live goes away. Is there a potential for that to happen then, that the money's there now, yeah. the deal is done? We don't know. I mean, there were, so live, the, one of the USPs of live is, is that it has this team element. So the, the players compete um, on an individual basis, but there's also, they're signed up in teams of four and the best performing uh, team across that event, you know, wins that week and then there's an overall annual prize. That team element will stay, it seems, in this new entity. It has not been called Live. We don't know whether Live will will continue. The expectation is that it won't. Uh, Roy McIlroy certainly doesn't expect it will. Uh, Jay Monahan also said that uh, in the aftermath of the merger that it probably won't. Now Greg Norman, the CEO of Live, is saying that it will continue. So this is, I mean, there's a lot that we don't know about this story yet. This merger was so abrupt it couldn't possibly have answered all the questions that we're going to have going into the future. But it, from this vantage point, it's difficult to see how Live and its current guys would continue under this new merged entity. So the, the branding may win out on the day, even though the question is who has the real power here, but only time will tell things. Um, what about the fans then, Gavin? Like, what does this mean for fans of golf? Like fans of golf, I mean, ultimately, if you're speaking, put moral issues aside for a moment, it's good news, to be honest. I mean, because what, what do fans want? They want to see the best golfers playing against each other you know, as often as you can. So if you sit down to watch golf on a Sunday night, it's a lot more interesting when you've got like the best live guys, like Brooks Kepka won the PGA Championship. Like the live guys were allowed to play at the majors this year. So Brooks Kepka won the PGA Championship uh, and and pushed John Ram and almost won the Masters as well this year. And like it was, it was brilliant sport and it was brilliant entertainment. So from that point of view, it's good to have these guys back competing. Also from a kind of slightly pantomime point of view, a lot of the guys that went to live were the kind of the bad guys or the <laughs> as as they're portrayed uh, through the media like these guys like Phil Mickelson or Bryson DeChambeau these guys Patrick Reed, these guys who we kind of like to root against they all left uh, and the guys who stayed the PGA Tour all kind of nice nice guys so it's <laughs> I mean it does rob it of somewhat of its electricity or some of its uh, of some of its theatre so all this back meaning yeah this is good for this is good for the golf fan to watch on TV 
as a product. Um, but if you have uh, if you have moral issues about Saudi Arabia or any other uh, the money of any other nation state uh, with questionable with a questionable human rights abuses if you abuse uh, record if you have any moral issues about their money being involved in sport then this is clearly a new low because we've seen nation states in, uh, invest in events uh, we've seen nation states invest in sports teams I think this is the first time we've seen a nation state effectively buy a whole sport Yeah I mean if you watched the World Cup last year and you've been watching what's happened in football in the last couple of years the unfortunate thing is that fans may have qualms about who's funding a team for about five minutes until they start to do well in a competition hmm. Would you imagine the same thing might happen here? Yeah This is also a slightly depressing story uh, if I can editorialise a bit in that respect because the players who took a moral stand against this, like McElroy, it was for naught. I mean, if Roy McElroy said that he didn't like where the money came from, but now this is the money that he's going to be paid, despite the fact that he did most of what was in his power by quitting the sport to, to combat against that. So it just goes to show that maybe, you know, maybe it's not possible to take a moral stand against this in modern professional sport there was a very powerful line on the ringer website the u.s sports website in relation to mcelroy and this story said the lesson here is that if you don't sell out someone will sell you out and that's ultimately what has happened here and i think back to, to rory mcelroy's press conference head of the canadian open last last week where he gave his first response to this a reaction to this and he said look it's ultimately for the game of golf if i separate myself from it and this is better. The, 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 this Saudi money was going to be in golf. I guess it's better that it's spent in the right way, as he said it, than spent in the wrong way. Which and is it's, fair because at least they have a little bit of ownership of where this all goes. Mm. They might come out on top eventually. Is there a chance that'll happen or do you feel the Greg Normans and the other guys are coming Storming the castle, so Yeah, I don't know how relevant Greg Norman is. I mean, Tiger Woods said last year that if there was to be a settlement or an agreement between the two parties, Greg Norman would have to be out of the room because he uh, he annoyed so many people, shall we put it that way. In terms of who's calling the shots, I mean, the PGA Tour are at pains to point out that of this new entity, merged entity, the PGA Tour will have a majority on the board, so majority voting rights. But the chairman of this new entity is going to be Yasser al-Rumayan, who's the governor of the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund. And that Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund have exclusive investment rights into this new entity. So they'll put money in. And if anyone else wants to put money in it, they have to get the thumbs up from the Saudi Sovereign Fund, first of all. So on paper, it would appear that PGA Tour have control here. But in practice, you know, I mean, the chairmanship is still a very influential role around a boardroom table. And it, particularly when that chairman is bankrolling the entire sport, it is very difficult to argue anything other than any decision that will be made for the future professional golf will not be one that the Saudi, that the Saudi state disagrees with. What about the due diligence in relation to this deal, Gavin? Is there any hint that global governments are a bit nervous about it? Could they ever put a halt to this play by Saudi Arabia? The appetite is not there. Um, we have to wait and see. Like one of the issues, the question marks that is raised around this is whether uh, this merger of Live Golf and PGA Tour Golf and the DP World Tour, the European Tour, whether that will fall foul of any kind of antitrust laws or competition laws in the European Union. We have to wait and see whether that will happen. Uh, up to now, no government has been able or has 
has been either willing or able to stop Saudi Arabia or other nation states from investing in sport on their in their jurisdiction. If we talk about football for just a moment, we know that there are nation states involved in the Premier League. Uh, Manchester City are owned by the vice chairman of the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia now, the public investment fund now controls 80% of Newcastle United. Uh, and whatever, if there were attempts uh, to stymie the PIF's investment in Newcastle, which it seems that there were, uh, they fell foul of Boris Johnson's government who lobbied uh, new, the Premier League to allow this to happen. Uh, so um, the Premier League ultimately couldn't say no. And we saw a fairly lamentable spectacle where the Premier League chief executive, Richard Masters, went on the BBC to say that they had received legally binding assurances uh, that the Saudi state had no role in PIF, the investment vehicle that now controls Newcastle United. But then um, as part of the litigation between Liv and the PGA Tour, see how all this is linked, uh, that that litigation that is now over, the PIF submitted a document to a court that said uh, that PIF is an instrument of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, uh, which contradicts whatever legally binding assurances Richard Masters and the Premier League achieved. So whether there is ultimately, I think governments are generally more powerful than we democratic governments are more powerful than we think. And they do have the power to regulate these things, but there has to be the willingness to do so. Um, and when sport is so bound up in politics and when if Saudi Arabia want to control of a football team, they can pick up the phone to the British prime minister to make it happen. That is not an environment in which the in which sport can ever be kept from the clutches of nation states. And of course, we really can't make light of the dreadful human rights record that Saudi Arabia has. And we had criticism then from the families of the 9-11 victims of this deal. What have they said about it? Uh, they have uh, they have been very critical of this deal and very critical of the of Jay Monaghan, who's the um, aforementioned commissioner of the PGA Tour. He was the man who effectively helped cut this deal with Saudi Arabia. And, and when it was announced, he appeared on television alongside uh, the aforementioned Yasser al-Ramayan to announce it. Uh, a year ago, I mean, one of, I, I should have said this earlier, sorry, Laura, but one of the one of the issues that uh, Jay Monaghan raised against uh, Liv and the Saudi involvement in golf was on a moral basis. And a year ago at, the, at last year's Canadian Open, he went on network television in the US to say in response to a question uh, which raised the fact that the families of the victims of 9-11 uh, massively criticised um, players who had joined Live. He said that at least no PGA Tour player has had to apologise for playing on our tour. The inference being anyone involved with Live should apologise. And now all of a sudden, Jay Monaghan is cutting deals with them. That is a vault face of kind of almost shameful distaste. And the 9-11 families have, uh, have pointed out his hypocrisy um, and saying he's now just a shill for Saudi Arabia. It really just shows that what happened this week is seismic and it's probably going to take a while for golf overall to settle down in any in any real way after this. Oh, yeah. I mean, like one of the main things that have kept that has kept this story in the newspapers on an almost weekly basis has been the rivalry near and near enmity between the golfers who went to live and the golfers who stayed in the PGA Tour. That issue is not going to go away. The, the guys who stayed in the PGA Tour who turned down that money will want to be compensated. You would imagine that the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund has the money to do that. Um, and as regards, you know, welcoming these guys back to the PGA Tour, Rory McIlroy says they're not just going to be welcome back. There has to be some kind of effective punishment um, as regards what that looks like. Who knows? So will any other golf organisation suffer then because of this deal? 
there aren't that many left. <laughs> I mean, everyone is, I mean, there's now not really like, I mean, the, the main tours, there are, there are fringe tours and smaller tours around Asia and so forth that are, that are quite small and have never really made much of a global impact. Um, and the, the big one has been the PGA tour and the European tour is a significant organization though had been waning in influence and in wealth for quite a long time. So for them to be attached to this deal is, you know, from their business point of view is very, very good news. So it's difficult to argue that, I mean, it's, might be tougher for the fringe golfer who struggles to make it onto the big time. I think maybe this will, we will see more of a consolidation now between guys at the top of the game and maybe make it harder for guys further down the, down the food chain. But uh, no, I mean, the, there's now, there's now only really one place to be. It really just shows that what happened this week is seismic. And I guess, is it a case that it's time will tell to see what way it impacts golf? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like predictions in this, in any sport, but in particular, this story is kind of a fool's fool's business, really, isn't it? But we have to wait and see. I mean, you would anticipate that it will happen, that this merger will happen. There's a lot of hurdles to cross in terms of that antitrust issue and so forth. But forgive me for being slightly cynical, but I feel like Saudi Arabia might just get their way in that regard. And then I guess this will happen because what we have learned is that if Saudi Arabia or any other other petro um, nation state of enormous petrol wealth want to achieve something, they get their way. So ultimately, we're going to see an entire international and professional sport largely controlled by Saudi Arabia. Well, I think for even those of us who aren't golf fans or golf players, it's impossible not to watch it. So look, thanks so much, Gavin, for joining us today on that. No problem. This episode of The Explainer was supported by Daft Advantage Ads, the best way to sell your home in Ireland. Looking to get the best price for your home? Ask your estate agent for a Daft Advantage ad today. Thanks again to the 42's Gavin Cooney for joining us today. You've been listening to The Explainer podcast by thejournal.ie. This episode was brought to you by senior producer Nikki Ryan and executive producer Sinead O'Carroll. If you'd like to support all the work we do here, head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to make a one-off donation or become a monthly subscriber. And of course, you can always leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.